irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I am a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I am certified additionally as a Reiki Level 2 practitioner and an EMDR. You can find me through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. That's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. You can book sessions to meet with me in person at either my New Orleans or Los Angeles offices. I do phone, Skype, and FaceTime sessions as well with clients all over the world. And if you're interested in being a guest on this show, please email me as well. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube, and also find archived episodes there. And if you are so inclined and generous, I would love for you to consider supporting this show through my Patreon campaign. It's patreon.com forward slash Lisa Tahir. And there's also a link at nolatherapy.com to, with a video to, to, that gives you information why I'm asking for help and support. It's so I can bring you more guests like I'm about to bring on today and just keep the work and the show going to inform people about ways they can empower and help themselves. I am really excited to speak with my guest today who I've been in touch with over the last couple of years. Her name is Erin Barnes and she is a real estate agent who happens to work on the number one Keller Williams team in Los Angeles. And her team is ranked number three of all Keller Williams teams in the world. She is a native of Santa Monica and currently lives in Los Angeles. So she really knows this market in and out. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome. I'm glad we finally get to talk and I get to pick your brain about real estate in Los Angeles. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's We're, a little bit different than New Orleans. It really is. And and so how how might real estate in Los Angeles be different than other cities? That could be a good place to start if you would like to. Sure. Yeah. Well, Los Angeles in general is a lot more expensive than most other uh, cities in the country. So that's one thing. Um, On a kind of uh, funny note, we like to joke that the only people who don't have sticker shock when they move here from elsewhere are people who come from San Francisco or New York. That totally (laughs) makes sense uh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, really my only clients who are really excited about the size of the studio in Culver City, for example, are people who say, oh, my gosh, this is this is the size of, you know, my closet from (laughs) or this would have been this would have been my closet in another city. So. uh, So, yeah, it's it's kind of a funny trend. But um, but you get so much in Los Angeles that you don't get elsewhere. And that's the age old location, location, location that we have say as real estate agents, you know, you're, you're paying a lot for where you're living. And the fact that within a two hour radius, you can go to the mountains, you can go to the beach, you can go to wine country, uh, you can go to Hollywood. So I think the quality yeah, of life here, 
Yeah, you're right. It's so high. And that's what brought me out from New Orleans is, is like you said, the accessibility to so many beautiful and diverse experiences that Los Angeles has. And, you know, though, like my residence right now at this point is smaller than what I have in New Orleans, but it, it feels, you know, just satisfying because of the reasons you just said what what we can do here. Exactly. And there's so many people here, you know, it's a, a mecca for a lot of people. They have always dreamed of coming to Los Angeles. So, you know, that that has a lot to do with why the prices are higher because there's so much desirability in this city. So you're on the number one Keller Williams team in Los Angeles. Can can you tell us about your work and how you help home buyers? I don't know if you want to speak of first time home buyers, um, you yeah. know, maybe some nuts and bolts, like to just sure. help inform us of this process here. Yeah, so uh, so we do say on our team, we have a pretty broad reach. Um, you know, a lot of people ask us what area we cover, and uh, we like to say greater Los Angeles because and what does Los that Angeles mean? has so, yeah, it has so many different neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, there are still some agents who, in the age of the internet, still want to focus on one particular particular neighborhood that maybe they live in or they know super, super well and they, you know, they just want to do all of their work in that nook. But realistically, what we're seeing these days, especially given what prices are, is that uh, at least in my business, I'm working mostly with first time home buyers, first time home sellers and millennials. Um, And, you know, different people on my team end up just kind of tending towards working with other people. Um, But for what I can speak to, my first time home buyers and especially millennials uh, are looking wherever their money can buy them something. Yes. And so that just automatically takes us to several different neighborhoods that might be pretty spread out over the city. And something that's a little bit different about Los Angeles as opposed to other cities in the country as well is that a lot of people here don't have conventional jobs. A lot of people are self-employed. Yeah. A lot of people work from home, even if they're not self-employed. And so they have that flexibility to live in a ton of different areas. Um, you know, a lot of people just want to like where they live and not necessarily live close to work because let's be real, no matter where you live, you're going to be driving quite a while yes. in the car to go to and from work in Los Angeles, again, if you do have a, a normal job. So, so yeah, that requires us to, when we're working with those those buyers and sellers, to have a pretty broad knowledge of all of the neighborhoods in greater Los Angeles. And I can say personally, I have sold in the last year, I've sold as far south as Rolling Hills Estates, which is in the Palos Verdes Peninsula. Okay. As far north as Santa Clarita, um, which is actually uh, north of Los Angeles. Uh, it's its own city. Okay. And as far, let's see, as far west as in the valley, I would say Woodland Hills and the ocean on the west side. And as far east as Covina. And you're welcome to all of your listeners who watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend who now have that song in their head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, so all over the place, really. Um, and as far as what we, you know, you asked, uh, you know, how we help people, I would say what we really focus on, and I think what's most important in the age of the internet, all of this information that you can get from everywhere at any time with the mini computer in your pocket um, is really educating our buyers and sellers on the market and how the whole entire uh, home sale process works from both perspectives, however however we're working with you. Um, We really take pride in preparing our clients for everything they can expect along the way 
and limiting surprises. You know, there's always something new, no matter how long you're in this business, there's always something new that's going to pop up uh, in every transaction. But we've basically seen it all at this point uh, with how many clients we work with and how we like to prepare them up front. Definitely. And I can direct individuals listening right now to, Aaron to your Twitter. I found a really cool article you had posted to it, Aaron Barnes on sure. Twitter, and it had to do with the 24 different neighborhoods in LA. I didn't know that there were so many, but it had <laughs> a blurb about you know the average cost of a one-bedroom apartment and the pros and the cons and how close the mm-hmm. neighborhoods were to say the 405 and the 10 and just how it is to get yeah. around and how, how mm-hmm. high it ranks with restaurants and bars and it was the coolest thing that you posted because when I first came here it was overwhelming just how large Los Angeles is yeah I found my office in Mar Vista and really Mm -hmm. love that area as well as Santa Monica and um you know it was just overwhelming to to try to figure out how to how to live here because it's huge and the traffic oh for sure so when someone comes to you can you kind of walk us through what are the first few steps in buying a home and like pre-approval and just things like that that might be helpful to know Mm -hmm. sure yeah so definitely you kind of already hit on the first thing Uh, we always say the first step in buying a home is talking to a lender so uh, a lot of people, you know, it's a little bit of chicken or the egg, right? A lot of people are going, well, I don't know who to talk to as a lender, but my friend is a real estate agent. So it's totally fine if you talk to a realtor first. Um, okay. They can always recommend to you uh, a trusted lender or two. Um, but really, before you start hitting the ground running and really getting serious about purchasing a place, you want to have a pre-approval in hand from a lender. So, um, so that's the first step in our minds, talking to a lender. And then once you have that pre-approval, um, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. Yeah. Once you have that pre-approval, you want to sit down with an agent and discuss what your wants and needs are, review what's going on in the market with that agent, ask some questions of them to make sure it's the right fit, and then go over the whole home buying process. Like I said, you want to know that you have a handle on what's about to happen in the next couple months. So, you know, it's not just this whirlwind and you have no idea <laughs> what you just went through. Um, but hey, you have keys. So um, so those are the, the basics of the first couple of steps. Um, a pre-approval um, is what a, le- a lender gives you a letter of pre-approval that states what, after looking at your financial situation, what they would be able to approve you for as far as a size of a loan on, okay. uh, on a residential home purchase. Um, Obviously, if you're doing, you know, a different route, they can give you different types of pre-approvals. But for our purposes, it would be for residential home purchase. Um, And what happens uh, between you talking to the lender and you getting that pre-approval is that they need to collect from you certain financial documents. They'll need to see, basically, they'll need to see two years of tax returns. So right now, if you talk to a lender, they'd want to see your 2015 and your 2016 tax returns. Um, They'd typically want to see two months of pay stubs or some sort of employment verification. Um, if you're self-employed, they might need some more particular uh, more particular items from you. They'll need to run your credit, which is a little bit of a nerve-wracking thing for some people, but because I does it for that as well. Does it lower <laughs> yeah, one score, or is that a myth that whenever you have your credit pulled? So, so it, it will lower your score a teeny bit um, when the first lender pulls your credit. 
But the really good thing to keep in mind that a lot of people don't know, and I don't know why this isn't more uh, more advertised, mm-hmm. is that once you have one lender pull your credit for a residential mortgage application, you have 45 days within which to talk to as many other lenders as you want and have all of them pull your credit as well for other pre-approvals to see who you might want to work with um, as oh, your top cool. choice. Okay. Yeah. So if, even if you have like 10 people pull your credit, 10 different lenders that you're talking to, you're being super thorough and shopping around, like you yeah. said, um, that will all only count as one inquiry on your credit. Oh, that's so cool so to that's know. that's a and really helpful. good thing to know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, aside from those three things, the, the pay stubs, the tax returns, and the credit check, um, there might be some other various supporting financial documents that the lender will need just depending on your situation. You know, if you own other properties or if you're, you know, you have an LLC and et cetera, et cetera, they might need a few extra documents from you. Okay. But so yeah, you- so if you, a common thing that comes up is that people, um, people will have a conversation with the lender and the lender will say, Great. So from what it sounds like you're telling me, I'd probably be able to approve you for 500000 Or sometimes they go online to Quicken Loans or, you know, some of these other big right. uh, big lenders, which there's nothing wrong with those companies. But if you just enter a couple of uh, answers to a questionnaire online and then you get some printout, that's actually not a pre-approval. That's what's called a pre-qualification. It's based yeah, on okay. some stated income and information from you. So you need a pre-approval in order to uh, to actually start your home buying process and earn Which it. is more formalized and tailored to what you actually, uh, yes, it totally makes sense. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so say yeah, if and you get- and vouching for you. So say if you get pre-approved for $500,000 and LA houses, mm-hmm. like we were just speaking about, I see are, you know, a million. How, how, does that mean you, you go look for a house that's $500,000 in or can you explain that? to us? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so there's a few different options at that point. I mean, there's certainly neighborhoods in Los Angeles where you would be able to purchase a home uh, for $500,000. You know, they're going to be a little bit further out from, I mean, there's not really like a city center in Los Angeles, but it's going to be a little bit further out from the West side, or it's going to be a little bit further out from downtown or Culver city, you know, um, or even if you're looking in the Valley, it's not going to be in studio city. Uh, for those of you who know the neighborhoods. Um, but, you know, there's definitely some opportunities for a house for that budget. Um, as far as, I think what you're asking is stretching the budget beyond 500,000. Um, what you what you have as an option at that point is you could, uh, you could bring some gift funds into the mix. Um, lenders will also consider a gift money from family or friends as long as those funds are not, uh, they don't have any liens or encumbrances on them um, and that just requires a note from whoever it is that would be providing those gift funds for you. Oh, that's cool. Um, you need yeah. to present that to your lender and your realtor. Um, and then other than that, I would say, you know, um, it's a, it's worthwhile to talk to your lender about different uh, down payment programs. Um, first of all, there's a lot of down payment assistance programs that a lot of people don't know about. So depending on your career path or, you know, if you've been in the military, there are some different options uh, for down payment assistance. Um, but there are also a lot of, if you have great credit and you have great history of employment, there are a lot of uh, low down payment percentage programs that are conventional loans, which is fantastic. We have a lot of people these days who are doing a conventional loan, which generally is thought of as a 20% down, uh, right. but they're doing it for 5% down or 10% down. Oh, that's amazing. So there's a lot of opportunities there. Yeah. So, and there's even, um, 
I know there's there's a lot of opportunity for doctors in particular for very low down payment programs because from a lender's perspective, you know, a lender's always assessing risk on, okay, what are they lending you and are you going to be able to pay, pay off this loan? Which is a good thing. That wasn't actually happening pr- prior to the crash. So right. now things are much more regulated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. but... but for doctors, um, you know, for example, they, you know, lenders feel like, well, there's a certain built-in uh, raise every single year for a doctor's salary. So they feel more comfortable giving you uh, a higher percentage of loan to value on the property that you're purchasing. Does that all make sense? That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And different so lots of options. There could be different incentives. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. So can you talk to, to us about working, you know, with the seller's agent versus the buyer's agent, if there are any differences or benefits? Totally. Yeah, we actually get that question a lot. Um, I thought so. When we have people, <laughs> when we have people that call in uh, from Zillow or Trulia or Redfin, um, we'll get a lot of people who just want to talk to the seller's agent. They just want to find out the answers to whatever questions they have on that particular property. And, you know, they want nothing to do with talking to a buyer's agent because they heard that their friend, you know, got a, the better deal working directly with a seller's agent. And honestly, I think that that is a huge, huge myth. Um, you know, in a competitive market, people are tempted to work directly with the seller's agent. And that's because they think they're going to get the deal. Well, yeah, you right. might get the deal, but you're not going to get a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason behind that is that you have to be aware of the fact that the seller's agent has a signed agreement with the seller that they have agreed to do two things. One is to sell the property for the most money possible. And the second is to sell the property as fast as possible. Right. So. Yep. If there's, you know, if there's five offers on the place, then you might have preference because the seller's agent, why would they not want to get double commission on, on the deal? But you're certainly going to be pulled into a situation where even though you're going to get the house, you may pay way more than you would have if you had worked with a buyer's agent who's just devoted to you and whose entire job is to get you the property for the best possible price and terms uh, that make sense for your, your life and your situation. Um, so we like to say it's kind of like working with a seller's agent is kind of like if you're being sued and you decide to hire the opposing side's attorney to represent you too. Wow. <laughs> it's really not a good situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it really, it really pays to use a buyer's agent. Okay. And so, you know, I've heard Aaron and, and LA from a couple of friends. And again, I'm sure this is where good information and false information comes hearing from friends. Um, like, uh-huh. like you were just giving an example, but like homes in LA say that the listing price is 800,000. And I've heard then these houses right. end up going for say 830,000 or 850,000. Sure. Like how, how does yeah. that happen? Yeah, well, it happens a couple of different ways. Uh, one is, you know, we are realistically, we're still in a seller's market. Even though things have softened a little bit in the last several months, um, there's still more buyers in the market than there are sellers. It's not like it was a few years ago where every somewhat desirable property had 10 offers and it was, you know, what people consider a bidding war on every property. These days, you're maybe competing with three other people. And, okay. uh, and it's not that intimidating if you're working with a great agent. You know 
know, probably one of those other offers on the table isn't really that qualified. You know, another one, it's maybe this is maybe their second favorite property. You know, so it's not as competitive, but you do still you do still encounter situations where, uh, you know, there there are multiple offers. Um, but as far as properties selling for a lot more than what they're asking for it, uh, most of the time, um, that's just a situation where you need to you need to be really in touch with your agent about what the recent comparable sales are for a property that you're writing an offer on. Because most of the time, if a place has a ton of offers and it's gotten so much attention, it's a strategy that the seller and the seller's agent have used. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do this as well on our listings, you know, depending on what the seller's motivations are, there are two different ways to price the property. There's a certain market value range, right, based on the comps that we can assess right. of the recent the recent sales that are similar properties. And the only way that we you know we can't tell a seller if we're working for a seller, we can't tell them this is the exact price that your home is going to sell for. We can give them a of range of reasonable market value, depending on what the interest ends up being when we go on the market. But the two ways that the seller can choose to price it are if they want to move ASAP and they need to get this sale taken care of, you know, yesterday, <laughs> yeah. then we advise them. Yeah. Then we advise them and any good seller's agent is going to advise their seller to price it on the lower end of that market value range. And that's, con- that's considered pricing it quote unquote attractively. Right. Okay. So yeah. if you see a property that's within your budget and it's the nicest one that's popped up in, you know, the last two months, then it's probably, you just verify this with your agent, it's probably priced attractively. And that would make sense to, uh, to it, w- it would make sense that there are several offers on the property and then eventually, you know, they get to top dollar where the market value is uh, through a couple of counter offers and multiple, multiple bidders on the property. So that's usually when you see the place go a place going for 830 when it was listed at 800 or it goes for sense. 740 when it was listed at 699 or whatever. It's priced attractively you know, and, then, and then there's a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you for explaining yeah. that. So it's not always when you see that, it's not that the buyer paid more than it's worth. I understand. <laughs> okay. That's, that's totally where the market value ended up. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you mentioned a little sure. bit ago that we're still in a in a seller's market here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Do you see yeah. a, a trend? Will will this area ever be, do you think, a buyer's market? Or is it just so desirable that that I don't know, just kind of curious about what you see in trending? Yeah. Totally. So right now we we my colleagues and I feel like we're in a shift. Um, you know, we're still coming out of a seller's market. But historically um, my partner Richard has been has been in real estate here for 13 years now, and he will tell you all day long. There's never been a time in the last 13 years where there's been an overwhelming amount of inventory. Um, Los Angeles is just one of those places where you know it might not always be a seller's market, but there, it's not like you know the houses are selling like hotcakes. <laughs> right, um, right. Even. <laughs> even in the even in the crash, um, there were still you know lots of uh, there were lots of opportunities for great great value on places, but uh, it wasn't some crazy overwhelming buyer's market where you could get a house for a penny, you know. Um, right. But you know, we still do experience typical market cycles. We're a little bit overdue for one right now, which makes sense for why we're in a bit of a shift at the moment. Um, 
you know, there's some really great values that right now is a pretty cool sweet spot for buyers in particular, because while prices haven't cooled down like crazy yet, interest rates are still really low. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice, you know, there's always a trade off. Once you, once you switch to a buyer's market, generally your interest rates are a little bit higher. So, you know, and if you, uh, once you, once your interest rate goes up a percentage point, you know, you can count on the amount that you're pre-approved for or the total purchase price that you can afford goes down about uh, 10%. Okay. So there's a trade off there for sure. There is, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I'm remembering as you're speaking that you and I met because I had started researching to see if there were foreclosures going, happening yes. in LA and there didn't right. seem to be very many. Can you speak to that for right. a little bit about, is that available still to find yeah. or, or not? There are foreclosures still, there are short sales still, um, you know, and that's, just indicative of whatever's going on in the seller's life. Um, so, you know, there's never really going to be a time where there isn't, there are no foreclosures to be found and no short sales to be found. Um, there's always going to be people who are in a situation where they have to sell their home um, and, you know, the bank is, is driving things. But uh, whereas, you know, post crash, we saw 50% of the, mar- of the market was distressed sales like foreclosures and, uh, and short sales. These days, it is so, so tiny of a percentage of the homes out there for sale. Um, so right. yes, you will still find ones that that are labeled as that, but in this market in particular, it doesn't mean that um, it's a really great quote unquote deal for the place. For the most part, because there's so many fewer of those properties um, than there used to be, they're getting snapped up pretty quickly by investors and all cash buyers who don't have as many options as they did uh, after the crash when 50% of the market share was distressed sales. So it sounds like the market stabilized very quickly after the crash. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are freaked out about the fact that prices are so high again, you know, in, in their minds relative to where we were in say 2010 after the crash, um, you know, it's like, well, gosh, how are we back up to uh, 2006, 2007 prices? But realistically, what we've experienced is just a recovery of the economy. Um, you know, we, it, it, we've gone through a normal market cycle. We've, we've hit the peak again and now things are, are stable and, and things are good. You know, overall, the, the way that prices are in LA right now is a good thing. Right. Yes. And and you, you mentioned to me before we came on the air, which was a, a, I think, really good point, is that someone buying in L.A., it is a good investment because of how properties will hold their value for the long haul. So it is a good yeah. investment to buy, period. It, can you say some mm-hmm. more about that as well? Because we started to talk about it and then we had to come on live. <laughs> yeah. Our, our private conversation got cut off. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> To be shared with the world, what's better? Right. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I was just saying that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have, oh, most people in Los Angeles are transplants, right? So they mm-hmm. do have this kind of uh, resistance to how expensive homes are here versus where they came from uh, in Oklahoma or Ohio or, you know, other places that start with O. <laughs> um, but the, the thing to remember is that Los Angeles is so desirable. It's, uh, you know, we do, we do go through market cycles just like the rest of the world, but, um, but people are always moving to Los Angeles and all you have to do is look at the rental market and how insane the rental market is, um, to know that 
wow, there's there's a lot of people that want to live here. So it is a good investment over time. I mean, you know, if if I were answering this question for a flipper, um, and our team doesn't really work with flippers too frequently, um, but if we're talking to flippers about investment, you know, and turning something around in six months or 12 months or even shorter, hopefully, if you're a professional at doing something like that, there definitely would be times that it might be more ideal than others uh, to be doing that type of investment and making money off the market in that way. But if you're a typical conventional buyer who's looking to purchase a home that they're going to live in, or if you're even purchasing investment property that you just want to hold on to long term for that extra income um, on the side, then it is a great place to purchase because over time you are going to see appreciation. Yeah, definitely. And so, Aaron, do you do you see um, sellers making any particular mistakes, buyers making any mistakes, like tips you might have? Yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) The what not to do list. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put Um, it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with buyers, I guess. Um, We kind of already talked about a little bit of it. Um, Not getting pre-approved is the first thing that that a lot of buyers, uh, a lot of buyers make a mistake in right off the bat. A lot of people want to go see homes and they're waiting to find the right place before they want to get pre-approved. And that is the biggest mistake that you can make as a buyer. And the reason behind that is because in order to even submit an offer, you need three things. You need your offer paperwork, which your realtor prepares for you after right, discussing right. what kinds of terms you want, not just the price, but other other issues in the, in the purchase. Um, you need your pre-approval. And that is the full pre-approval, not the pre-qualification like we talked about. Um, And you need a proof of funds, which is your recent bank statement or a screenshot of your online banking that shows that you can actually pay the amount of money that you've offered in the paperwork. And that's just the the seller and the seller's agent need those two supporting documents, the pre-approval and the proof of funds, in order to do their due diligence and make sure that you can purchase this place. Sure. So you can't submit an offer that's going to be considered unless you have that pre-approval in hand. And if you wait to find that perfect property and then go get pre-approved, the perfect properties are in any any reasonably desirable home is going to be gone. Exactly right. It's going to be gone by the time you can get your pre-approval together. Um, You know, it might take a couple days. To not have that pre-approval first. And facing a lot of disappointment, I think. Exactly. We like to avoid heartbreak (laughs) in this business. So yeah, you get you get yourself all you know worked up and emotionally attached to a place, and you know we like to say the perfect property requires you to be perfectly prepared. So if you're not prepared with that pre-approval, you're gonna lose out. You don't get a do over there. Um, as far as other mistakes that buyers are making, I would say um, resisting meeting with a realtor and not committing to a buyer's agent. Um, I didn't mention earlier that. You know, it, it, I said it's a bad idea to work with a seller's agent, but you, and you do want to work with a buyer's agent. A lot of people don't know that it's totally free to you to work with a buyer's agent. The seller is the one who pays the commission for both the seller's agent and the buyer's agent. So it doesn't cost you a penny to work with a buyer's agent. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> At okay. least in California. I can't speak to everywhere else, but in California, yeah. that's the way it works. Okay. So if that's the case, there's no harm in sitting down with an agent and talking through what you're interested in and really committing to one particular agent who's going to be devoted to finding you the perfect place for you. Um, And because they're free to work with, 
choosing the right buyer's agent is really important. You know, if you, if you, someone offered you a brand new free car, (laughs) are you going to pick some clunker and one that doesn't have great safety ratings and isn't nice to look at? Are you going to choose a Tesla or a Mercedes? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Right? Yes. So that's a, that's a big thing. Someone who's experienced and really committed to you um, rather than either using the seller's agent or, you know, just calling random people up on Zillow anytime you want to see one or two properties. Um, and then aside from that, I would say not going to see the property as soon as possible. If you see a place that gives you little flutters in your heart because you're so excited about the pictures, you can count on somebody else also feeling that way. So you want to get yeah. their ASAP. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then that if it sense. if it lives up, yeah, if it lives up to the pictures, then you want to write an offer as soon as possible. A lot of people get nervous about writing an offer. But, uh, you know, if you decide that you want to sleep on it um, and you miss out, you can't get a do-over on that. If you put an offer in immediately after seeing a place that you totally envision yourself living in, um, you can always revoke it if you change your mind later. So Okay, and there's no penalty when, for that. I, for, mm-hmm. I bought my house in New no. Orleans so long ago, I forgot how all this went. So if you make an offer, which yeah. is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. you can you can revoke it without any kind of financial penalty. Yep. Oh, cool. Totally. Yeah. Okay. We have a lot of people who will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about this area yet. I, you know, it's a little bit further away than where I expected. And I'm not sure what the shopping is like or where the nearest grocery store is or how it feels at night. And I'm like, great. Why don't you take a drive by tonight and, you know, hang out at the nearest park tomorrow, but let's put the offer in right now so that you preserve the option of this. Being oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you change your mind tomorrow, we can revoke the offer, no problem. Okay. So, yeah. Any other mistakes that you see buyers buyers making? (laughs) Okay, okay, awesome. What about sellers? Well, I guess the the only other thing I should mention this too is that a lot of buyers tend to get hung up on uh, little things that really don't cost a lot of money to fix. Um, Things like the color of the paint on the walls, right? Or the, the flooring, the type of flooring or the landscaping in front. Those are like super low ticket items that are kind of so an advantage to you to if you're, yeah. And it's, it's amazing if you are the buyer that can see past those things, you might get even a better value on the property than, oh, yes. you know, if the seller had taken care of those and was showing you some flashy thing that everybody wanted to write an offer on. Does that well, make and sense? That, yeah, that tie, ties into home inspections. Do you want to talk about that now mm-hmm. and come back to mistakes you see sellers making or what's the best way to? Sure address yeah like sure a, okay we can talk so, about inspections okay so speaking yeah. of home inspections for a little what what happens during a home so you find a property you have <laughs> pre-approval you you know make an offer yep. the offer is accepted and then you mm-hmm. go to the home inspection correct yep so, okay. so there's a couple of really important things about the home inspection one is that you want to make sure that you have a professional general inspector who is the person inspecting the home. And we get a lot of people who say, well, my uncle is a general contractor or, you know, I have this friend who's purchased Mm -hmm. three investment properties in the last couple of years. He really knows his stuff. And I always tell them that is awesome. Bring those people along, but we also need a general inspector. Um, And the reason behind that is because a general inspector is going to do such a thorough job 
and he is going, or I should say, or she, because there are a few that I've worked with that have been Very trees, cool. which makes me so excited. Yes, me too. Um, so he, he or she is going to give you a comprehensive report on everything that they did and didn't find on the home uh, once they've taken a look at it. And it's uh, that's a huge benefit to you because that is a piece of leverage that we can use if anything pops up in that report that we need to ask for some sort of credit or repair on. So overall, the inspector is going to look at the seven main systems of the home. So those systems are your foundation, your roof, your electrical, your sewer, your HVAC, your plumbing, and your chimney. Now, if you're buying a condo or a townhouse, you might not have all seven of those systems because the HOA, will, the Homeowners Association, will take care yes. of the roof. And, you know, you might not have a fireplace. Um, you'd be surprised how many places in Los Angeles have fireplaces. And transplants find that so funny. I know. Because <laughs> um, you're like, why do you need to be warm? Exactly. <laughs> Step outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a, a showpiece. <laughs> I don't know, though. I'm always cold, so I appreciate the fireplaces. Me too. So, I like um, them as well. It's just so cozy. <laughs> it is so cozy. Um, but yeah, so those are the systems that the general inspector is going to take a look at closely. And he's also, he or she is also going to uh, point out every single little detail that you could not even have imagined looking at while you were walking through the home the first time, or even the second time if you go twice by the time you're in escrow. Um, and that's going to be things like wobbly door handles and a door isn't perfectly plumb or there's, you know, ripped carpet in this corner of the room and there's a bunch of marks on the wall and in the living room, things like that. Those types of things are to be expected. And in fact, right, even with the main systems, yeah, totally normal wear and tear. And if you're buying a, you know, a, a home that's been lived in before. So most of our buyers aren't buying new construction. The people that are, they're super lucky. They have a perfectly, you know, they can be nitpicky about every single little thing being just so. Um, yeah. But those are much more expensive. So it's a higher price range. So if you're buying a home that's, you know, the, the average home in Los Angeles, it's going to be older. So you're going to have that wear and tear. You can assume it comes with those little handyman and plumbing repairs that you're going to have to take care of. And even aside from that, you can assume that one or two of those main systems that I mentioned are going to be in need of some sort of upgrade or repair. And generally what we can ask for when we're, you know, we're going through that report together after we get it back from the general inspector, we can ask for things that are health and safety related issues, you know, things like mold. You can totally assume that it's, oh, it's, it's uh, going to yeah. be taken care of or you're going to get some credit. You can't live in a home that's not safe, right? Right. And anything that is a major uh, issue with one of the main systems. So for example, I had a client actually who just closed yesterday on her first yay. condo. Um, oh, congratulations. Yay. Exciting. <laughs> Congrats, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she, <laughs> shout out. She, uh, she discovered in her home inspection that the HVAC system was 43 years old, which was wow. unheard of. I mean, that was the oldest I'd ever heard. Um, so we did end up uh, successful in getting some sort of credit uh, to take care of upgrading that system after closing. So that was good. And just FYI, if, if you have first-time home buyers on the line uh, or you know listening, yes. uh, that is almost that's more than double the typical expected lifespan of an HVAC system. So wow. something like that, totally reasonable to ask for. Yeah, because I'm yeah. wondering, will the seller fix everything that the inspector says is is wrong? 
Mm-hmm. So that's a common question, especially for first-time home buyers who are used to renting. Because when you're renting, the landlord is responsible legally to take care of things that are wrong with your unit. Um, and you, you usually, at least in Los Angeles, have some sort of punch list uh, when you move into a rental that says, you hear all the things that I saw that should be remedied and you do another uh, list of, you know, anything that's wrong with the place when you move out. So you, then you compare the two things. But when you're buying the place, the seller actually uh, in, in the state of California doesn't have an obligation to take care of anything um, as far as okay. repairs or upgrades or giving you any sort of credit. It's totally up to them. So that's a, a new um, that's a new period of negotiation once you're in escrow. So we have the opportunity to present the report to them, which is why, again, it's really important to have a general inspector do the, the inspection. Um, we have the opportunity to present that report, cite certain things that the inspector pointed out and say, here's what we're proposing, you know, we get in credit or repair. And just in general, we like to, we like to um, side on credit rather than repair because then you get the money to take care of what you right. want and you get to do it the way that you want to do and it select as opposed like to, to mm-hmm. exactly and you get to supervise it make sure it's done the way that you want um okay. but yeah then it's we're we're on our team we're very successful at, at meeting somewhere you know in the middle and having some sort of reasonable agreement on credit or repair for anything that is like i said health and safety related or a major system issue um but yeah that's a that's your little comprehensive overview of the inspection period. <laughs> okay, so say the inspection goes well, or if there's something that's an mm-hmm. issue, like like the mm-hmm. person that just closed yesterday, but you resolve it. Uh-huh. What what then happens? Yeah. So you're you're going to closing, right? Yeah, yeah. So after after you've resolved everything in the inspection period, um, then you remove what's called your inspection contingency. And there's usually three. If you're if you're purchasing a property with a loan. Um, there's usually three main contingencies in the deal. Contingencies, for those people that don't know what that means, um, those are uh, protections to the buyer that allow you to back out of the deal if something related to those contingencies goes wrong. So you can just cite that contingency and then you'll get your deposit money back on the property and uh, and you'll be able to go look for you know something that, that is better or something in a different price range if you didn't actually get your loan approved, et cetera. Um, So that inspection contingency gets removed after that inspection period and you have agreements on repairs or credit. Then the the other two contingencies are your appraisal contingency and your loan contingency if you're using a loan. And those two are mostly you communicating with your lender, getting them any other supporting documents that they need. um, And, you know, your lender sends an appraiser out to the property to make sure that the neutral third party eye on the <laughs> on the property actually um, actually presents a value that makes sense for what you're in escrow for. So the lender obviously again is assessing risk. They need to know that they're lending on a property that is actually worth what you're paying for it. Um, so yeah, those are the two main contingencies that are left after you're do after you're done with your inspection. Those get taken care of usually within the next week, and then you're just finishing up a few things with your lender and making sure everything's good to go with your loan. And then in the last five days of your escrow period, you get to do another walkthrough of the property and uh, make sure if you had any repairs that were negotiated, you're checking up on those. If you didn't, it's just a formality really to get excited and, you know, start measuring and figure out where your furniture goes. Yeah. Where are we going to put colors? (laughs) You're going to paint the walls and do the little upgrades. (laughs) Yes. 
it's your like interior decorating appointment. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, that happens in the last five days. And then basically in the last three, you're wiring your remaining uh, money to the escrow company so that everything's actually paid for. And then on closing day, you get your uh, confirmation that it's been recorded in your name and you're actually the homeowner now. And then you get your keys. So it's wow. so very exciting and happens quicker than you can believe sometimes. Usually the typical escrow period is about 30 days in Los Angeles. Okay. And oh, yeah. my last question, mm-hmm. my last question is how are closing costs calculated? Yeah, sure. So that's a common question a lot of people have too. Um, so, so a lot of people think, oh gosh, okay, so I need 20% down. Great. I have $100,000 in the bank so I can buy a $500,000 property. Well, you definitely, your lender is going to need you to have more than, you know, what your down payment is because they want to make sure if anything crazy happens in your life, you have extra. So they'll need some okay. sort of reserves that you can prove. But aside from that, for actually purchasing your home, you do need at least the closing costs. Uh, in cash as well. And those are typically for a buyer, they're two to three percent of the purchase price. And okay. there are a lot of things that that can go into determining where in that range they fall. Um, one is, well, so your closing costs are made up of two different types of closing costs. One is your lender closing costs, which is everything related to your loan, your loan origination fee, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is your escrow closing costs, which is costs associated with transferring the property to you and the escrow company actually handling the deal as a third party uh, to, you know, to the transaction. So, you know, there's people that need to get paid to make this happen. Um, so, so that's part of your closing costs as well. But the majority of your closing costs as a buyer are coming from the loan side of it. So depending on the time of year, where we are in the tax year, um, how expensive your loan origination fee is, et cetera, it can kind of range. Um, and also depending on the type of loan that you're getting. If you're doing an FHA loan or a VA loan, right. your closing costs could be a little bit different. But we always say 2 to 3%, prepare for 3%. Usually it's not that much, um, but at least you've you know, set aside that much and you, you know in your mind, okay, I have to have X amount more than I was expecting. Um, that will be due at the end of escrow in order for you to close. So yeah, if you're a seller, um, it's less because obviously you're not involved in loan closing costs. Right. If you're a seller, so typically it's around like one percent or so of the of the price. But then if you're a seller, also you're paying for the the agents. So you have to take that into consideration. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, and I don't know <laughs> why I said lot. that was my. <laughs> What's that? I said there's a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot a going lot. on. And I misspoke when I said that was my last question. I do, because uh, we're, we're almost at the end of our time together. I'm curious sure. as to what makes your team the number one team in Los Angeles and number three in the world with yeah. Keller Williams. What is it that, totally. like, that's amazing so, when I read that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, that's based on the size of our team, um, you know, for, for other similar sized uh, teams in the company. Um, we're the number one in this area and we're the number three in the world, which is pretty awesome. Um, and that's based on our volume of sales and units of sales. So last year, we uh, we helped 156 clients with purchasing and selling their, their homes. So that's a pretty huge number. And we did about 100 million in sales volume. So that's a, LA that's has awesome. a, a high price point, but that's still a lot of properties that we, that that's we help a lot people of with purchasing and selling. And yeah. I can tell you're passionate so. about it. You're, you're obviously passionate mm-hmm. and informed and it just comes through in your voice. How can people listening reach you if they are interested to yeah. begin a discussion and purchasing a home with, with you and your team? Totally. 
Yeah. So, um, so I have a website. Um, it's E Barnes. So my first initial E Barnes is my last name, B-A-R-N-E-S dot K-W dot com. You can find me there. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Aaron Barnes Realtor. I post some fun things there. Uh, my favorite is uh, I occasionally put up really bad MLS photos that just crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> that's my favorite. Uh, my favorite thing I do there. Um, and lots of tips on buying and selling, and you know what to ask your realtor. Even if you don't live in Los Angeles, um, there's a lot of really great resources that I can provide you with through my website and through Facebook. Um, I am on Twitter, like you mentioned. Uh, I do need to yeah. get that back up to speed. I haven't been religious about posting there recently um but directly you can contact i found your twitter really informative so i had oh good yeah so it's great for our listeners just don't look at the date okay i didn't obviously and i didn't mean to interrupt you but go ahead with how else people can reach you. oh no yeah i was just gonna say if you want to get in touch directly um my phone number is 323-920 five two three five you can call or text me and uh, my email address is my first initial e barnes which is my last name and then re as in real estate at gmail.com and uh yeah we're always looking to help more people in la we love this city and uh and we're really passionate about getting people a great value whether they're buying or selling so it, it comes yeah. through thank you for breaking everything down in ways that are demystifying to the home buying of process course. here in los angeles which was intimidating to say the least at first <laughs> coming here so thank you totally. i'm so glad that we met a while yeah, back me stayed too, in touch Lisa. I know. I'm really looking forward to uh, to when things work out for buying a place for you here. I'll be ready. It, it is <laughs> it is definitely in my mind, like to manifest for sure at some point. So <laughs> Perfect. I look forward to it as well. And this show Sounds will be good. on U- iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and at LA Talk Radio and on my website, NOLA Therapy. For those of you listening that might want to get Aaron's information, if you don't have a pen right now, to write it down. And I just want to thank you for being with us today, Aaron. No problem. Thank you. And thanks for bearing with my voice. If any of you call me or uh, end up dealing with me later, you'll you'll see I sound a lot different than this. I'm a little under the weather right now, but oh, I <laughs> we would made never it through know. the hour, so that's good. I would never oh, know. You sound right. great. Well, I hope you feel better. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) This made me feel better. This was really fun. Thanks, Lisa. It was so fun. You're very welcome. And have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. That concludes our show for today. Listen in next week as I bring you another guest. Thank you. And I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.